Marketing Company Podcast. My name is Dan Ledbetter, and today we have the honor of listening to Little Bird Marketing's own Priscilla McKinney, CEO, founder, and resident mama bird of Little Bird Marketing, have a one-on-one interview with Helene Sheeler-Johnson. Now, a little bit of background. Both uh, Priscilla and Helene live and work in a smaller community, and they share a very fun and funny peer relationship in the marketing and PR industry. Now, they both lived all over the world and, for whatever reason, have decided to call the Midwest their home. So, without further ado, let's jump right in and listen in to their conversation about how they deliver quality marketing and PR consulting for their clients. Well, good morning, Helene. Good morning, Priscilla. You know, we really have to quit meeting like this. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, we need to quit meeting like this because we really need to be meeting over drinks. So it's true. This early morning thing is for the birds. <laughs> However, you won't get hit by my flying hands while we're talking, so it's probably safer for you. I don't know. We are so dangerous <laughs> together because between you being Helene and me being Puerto Rican, we're like a total mess. <laughs> it's true. I'm my own species, as identified by the National Geographic. Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. So, oh my gosh, let's just start with that. So, you got your whole DNA tested. Yes. And your husband. And you were right. He is slightly more Neanderthal than than normal. (laughs) He was all worried. I was disappointed because I was thinking it was at least going to be 2.25%. And he was 2.2, right? So yes, yes. And 2.1 is the average. (laughs) (laughs) Where do they come up with that? I mean, how many? What's the sample size? You know, 700,000 people. And what they did is they DNA tested indigenous people who haven't moved around much over the years. And they were able to identify certain DNA samples of where people have congregated to then better attach that to different migratory paths. So it's just absolutely fascinating to me. And they totally nailed it with mine. I mean, it came down to from Northern European percentages as well as Mediterranean Mm -hmm. and then um, some Asian in there to come up with that I am primarily from the Greece area and Tuscany, Italy, which is my grandfather was from Florence. So I was just blown. I was blown away by that. That is so cool. I know I read yours. I was like, yeah, duh. (laughs) But some people are hard to peg. And I'm telling you, between you, me and your husband, we would like totally blow that sample. We've lived in more houses combined than most people ever view in their lifetime. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Well, just think in, in current days, people can get on a plane and move and you know this is going back so far in history before you had to get there by foot mm-hmm. so oh my gosh unless you were a viking in which case you just had to kill people along the way exactly right. and, and look <laughs> and look at the worth of us talking about this as we help market national geographic's uh, right project <laughs> so please contact us with a donation <laughs> Okay, well, hello. This is why we always end up in great conversations is because we're interesting people. (laughs) We're always doing interesting things, but we digress already and we haven't even started the podcast. (laughs) Hey, as long as we're amusing ourselves, you know. Right, right. Well, I I go with that theory for life. So, okay, so let's tell people who's on the podcast with me. This is Helene. Give us the short bio here. Like why? And then you can end it with, and this is why Priscilla likes me so much. <laughs> well, that I'm not sure I've figured that one out exactly. Oh, man. But, uh, other than we have a good laugh together. But, yeah. So I am the luckiest girl on earth because 
I found my way career-wise where I was such a little cuckoo. I was a total tomboy growing up, and who knew um, I would be able to forge this path that's worked out so well for me and fits my personality so well. And so um, I started out as a journalism major in college with a public relations emphasis. I was just fascinated with the idea of creating stories or helping to tell people's stories because... uh, you know, with public relations, that's what you're trying to do in a journalistic type setting. So I started out at MSL Group, which was Manning, Salvage, and Lee at the time. And it was, it's a worldwide agency. We had a ton of clients from Nike to Sega to Nestle Refrigerated Cookie Dough, which is one of my first um, absolutely horror stories that got me uh, <laughs> started in my career and thinking very quickly. Oh man, uh, I don't know. I don't know that I've heard that story. So we're we're gonna have to digress at some point and talk about that story, <laughs> okay. maybe on another podcast about PR. That would be okay. Good. Sounds good. And from there, I started doing a little bit more sports marketing within the PR agency as we would get clients that needed a little bit more tutelage, even with their marketing departments. And that's kind of what got me into marketing was that I was finding that. PR and marketing were not exactly talking to each other. It was more like PR was getting handed down information from marketing rather than marketing as in the advertising side, using PR to help them even find the message. So, you know, we could talk about all that later, but that's what got me into marketing opposed to just PR. And I went to Sony Computer Entertainment um, and I was their director of PR and promotions there. And then I ended up being a VP of marketing in the video game industry at Midway Home Entertainment. And that's kind of what pulled together all of my skill sets and really woke me up. It was a very competitive marketplace where uh, there were so many video games out on the market that you couldn't even get the top retail stores to take your game uh, unless you could show them how much money and effort you were going to put behind your marketing plans because there wasn't enough space on the shelf to carry everybody's games. So it was a fascinating fascinating thing and and the other wonderful thing is there's so many different topics of video games that although for a few years I was just marketing video games it was like I was marketing everything because whatever the topic of the game was we would go to the extreme one game we did was about uh, Excalibur Legion mm-hmm. the Legend of Excalibur and so we went to, to London and we rented out a castle um, and we did a lot of our marketing efforts there we flew journalists in had them you know, uh, experiencing the game as well as watching a jousting match and eating experiential, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, putting a product out there in that kind of an experience way, letting people write the story about it. Were, Were a lot of firms doing that at the time? Well, once one person does it, then everybody mm-hmm. does it. So by the time I left the video game industry, junkets, what we called them, where mm-hmm. we would take journalists, and um, they they were very prevalent. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely, it's an immersive experience. They say the games are an immersive experience, and we really felt like we had to immerse the journalists in the experience to get them to completely buy into the game. And quite honestly, if you gave them a good enough experience, they would like the game more than they would have if Mm -hmm. you had just handed the game to them from we took uh them snowboarding um we took them one this was fascinating in tucson arizona they have an old military base there that has been taken over by a company who does uh this experience where you go in there and they teach you how like SWAT team to bust into a room and how you cover it (laughs) off so they broke us up into groups and we did paintball and I knew you know we brought these journalists and it was for a game called siphon filter and 
we had brought them in and and I knew everything that was going to happen that while we were getting our training, Mm -hmm. they were going to come in and abduct some of us. Oh my! So, you know, I knew this was going to happen and it was still just incredibly frightening when the door gets pounded (laughs) in and they have, you know, what looks like real guns and they're pointing them at us and screaming at us to get on the floor and they're dragging some of us away. It was Oh my god! Amazing, and and by the way, paintball hurts. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, especially because you. I mean, it's like I you felt like you've to... got a layer of protection. Well, I took a few to the rump. I thought I was hiding well behind this huge boulder, but I found out body parts were protruding, and they all took some. <laughs> that's like that should be like the quote, you know, like that should be the title of my autobiography. And I found out body parts were protruding. <laughs> Oh man! Uh-oh. Well, that's like a painful experience. We, we you know, in, in we've talked about so many other PR marketing nightmares. You know, of other painful experiences, things that hurt your soul. You know, and yeah, there's plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So you said something in all of that about how you realize marketing people were not talking with the PR people, and this is what I really think why you and I connect and why why we're friends, why we get each other on, on one level, because, you know, we sit there then in the middle of that, in that consulting realm, because I think both you and I know how to connect dots between different people and, and different problems. Here's these two things. These two things are not, they should be together and they're not. And so you put them together. And you said that like really early on that you saw that in your in your career and now I, I don't find it strange that you are a consultant that basically still puts PR and marketing together. You know, it's like you saw you saw a problem really early on and you're still fixing it. It is it is fascinating that it isn't more of a corporate culture within marketing, marketing being the hub and then PR one of the spokes. I, I really can't even understand it because here's what happens. You've got marketing just coming down and dictating, you know, here's what the product is and all the little bullet points now run off and, you know, create a strategy for it rather than going to PR in the first place. And the key thing here is for public relations, you have to come up with such an airtight position and story for the journalists because you're not paying them to put it here or there. With with advertising, you say, here's my ad, put it on this page in this magazine, you're paying for that. Mm-hmm. With PR, you're talking someone in to running your story mm-hmm. the way you want it told. Mm-hmm. And so what better than to check with a PR strategist of how that story can unfold And PR is also very good at seeing what pitfalls lie ahead by the various ways you position things. So it just makes common sense to me that everybody's talking that the marketing manager or marketing director or VP marketing would sit with PR and say, here's, you know, where we're coming with this product before they form the actual positioning. And that's what I used to do at Midway is I would have these kickoff meetings that incorporated I didn't have to talk as much to PR since I was coming from that perspective anyway, Uh but I would bring all the players in, uh, several different ad agencies who wanted to pitch advertising to us, promotions, PR, and we would kick off the product and then all together talk about it, look at the competition, and then everyone would go off and creatively come up with what the plan was going to be. And I, I found what happened is we'd get too many great ideas and we couldn't even do them all. Mm-hmm. Opposed to struggling 
to try mm-hmm. to find, you know, an approach that was going to work. Oh my God. And so I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, explain that world to me again. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I, I absolutely believe if you know how to bring people together, that brainstorm environment, but a structured one, not just throwing a brainstorm and everyone's just barfing out things that don't make sense. If you pull it all together and you're very strategic, then every idea that rolls out after that is going to play against the positioning that was agreed upon. And then, you know, you're going to have a campaign that's worth something, right? That's actually going to give something back to your client uh, opposed to just making a cool campaign. Because think of how... to clarity. I mean, just being super clear about, you know, what it is you're trying to achieve. Yes. And not only what you're trying to achieve, but I think what you're saying more is not only what you're trying to achieve, but exactly how um how you want it talked about like people say all the time you know i don't know why people say this but you know word of mouth is the best form of advertising okay whatever let's skip over that (laughs) but you know you and i talk about a lot how do we get them talking first of all and then secondly once they are talking secondly once they are talking what are they going to say and do you own that story have you exactly, written that story exactly. for them? And that's what I right. really appreciate about what you do in your approach is making sure that we wrote the story, but they're so interested in it that they can't wait to tell it for us. Exactly. And and you make it digestible enough um, that they can, you know, think of the game of telephone. Mm-hmm. That That's another critical thing is how do you define these kind of key messages and bullet points that make it very easy to relay the message and not screw it up? Mm-hmm. down the road. The other thing is half the time the clients don't exactly know wh- who they are, what they want. I mean, they know somewhere in there, but they need you to pull it out of them. And that's another thing where I think that kind of PR approach is so critical is mm-hmm. knowing how to nurture your clients into telling you everything about their product, the bad and the good, mm-hmm. so that you can understand even how to guide them. And one of the most rewarding things to me is not just coming up with an awesome solid plan that properly talks about their products or their story, but you actually help them work through some of the pitfalls and some of the issues and have them correct them so that by the time you're coming out with this campaign, you've actually Mm -hmm. fixed some of the internal problems. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is probably the most rewarding where you feel like you not only came up with a campaign, you helped this company be everything that they can be. Well, you say rewarding, and, you know, this is a good segue into talking about worth because, you know, you and I need to have all kinds of podcasts on amazing marketing ideas, bringing people to the table, effective questioning strategies, developing an actual solid strategy, PR, working with reporters. We have so much to talk about, but I get so many people who listen to my podcast who are consultants, independent consultants, and I've gotten this question posed to me in so many different ways and that's about as a consultant how do i truly understand what my worth is what i bring to the table for the client and they're not just asking that in the sense of oh am i worth something they know they're worth this particular work but i think more more than anything the way i read what people are sending to me it's how do i value that and how do i communicate that value and how do i set my rates and i know we don't need to digress in an exact rate type of, of thing, but let's talk about like the worth, the true value of a real marketing strategist, um, a consultant that sits in between marketing and PR and yet really can master both worlds, um, bringing the pieces together. How do you talk about what you're worth, what you're bringing to the table, you know, to the client? Because you do this 
day in and day out and because you work independently. And so I think you would be the best suited to talk really about as a consultant, this is how I make them understand this is truly the realm, this is what I'm aiming to do, and then how do you work with them on what that is worth to their company? Because we know that people spend a lot of money on advertising, you know, and you and I talk a lot about the difference between advertising and marketing, and you know, while I'm, I'm happy to take anybody's money, I don't want to take someone's money unless we've decided what the strategy is and where we're going, what the big picture is. I'm not an agency that just, oh, how much do you have to spend? I'll go spend it for you. Yeah. But you're a step further in that being independent and really bringing a lot of the pieces together. And I like how you say that about marketing being a hub and people see it as like PRs out here as one little tool for marketing. But you really bring this balance in bringing PR in with, at the same time with marketing when people aren't really thinking about it yet. Right. So what's the value of that to a client? Let's talk maybe in a, let, let, let's try it with maybe a launch. So how do you approach that with a client or maybe even how do you end up getting approached for, for these types of consulting jobs? Well, honestly, you know, you do talk about that word of mouth and that is the number one way. Other than, you know, when I moved to this town and I wrote you a little letter introducing mm -hmm. myself, that's how I got hooked up with you. But most of it is referrals, people needing something and, and I get a call because they were told about me. And that, and that is just so fortunate because that's not going to be the case with everyone. And I'll be honest, I had signed up for... I think it's called Elance or one of those websites. And I found that to be super disappointing because it's kind of the cheapest labor you could possibly get. And that's who often wins the jobs. It's mm -hmm. not someone who can do like the whole shebang for you. So right. I, I briefly did that. and just saw that wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing is where I feel like I'm in a fortunate position is I don't think you can graduate college and just become a consultant. Mm -hmm. uh, I had years of experience in different industries, right. uh, you know, the agency world where I still have a ton of contacts who bring me work um, to actually being in corporate. And so that's where I established and got to know people. And that's where those connections continued and I got handed down. And so that I, I'm so appreciative of that, but I feel like that's that's the endorsement, mm -hmm. you know, when, when people are telling people about you. Um, and I don't, just take any client at this point because I really do want to do proper strategy. So I personally find it really frustrating if someone wants to come and just have you whip out some quick campaign without any thought behind it because I'll be honest with them and say, if, if you can't work with me to do all the investigative work that should happen here to make sure you know this is right for you, I can't feel confident that I'm doing a proper job for you and then I'm just guessing and I can come up with a cool fun campaign we all laugh about but that might not be the thing that's actually going to give you a return on investment and mm -hmm. help you with the longevity of your company so mm -hmm. I take I take the strategy the competitive analysis uh, and then what the campaign should even be very seriously because it it, it isn't cookie cutter mm -hmm. it, it's going to be different with every single client mm -hmm. um, if you're doing a proper job mm -hmm. I think so it's not cookie cutter you and I are both a very customized approach with clients 
but there are some things we do constantly. So let's talk about a little bit, what are the initial things? You say you have a real serious conversation with the client about, look, these are the things we have to do. This is the work. And that way you weed it out. If they're not interested in doing that kind of work, you know you're not going to be able to deliver the caliber of strategy that you want to produce. You want to spend your life doing, right? right. So it becomes, right. you know, hey, we're not a good fit. But what are those things that, you know, what does that conversation sound like to the client who is not really privy? They, they don't right, understand right. exactly what you're offering. And you and I are in this same boat is that it's usually after we've done all the work with the client, they're like, oh, man, that's what you do. Right. Well, <laughs> you know? right. But Absolutely. we got to get them to pay us before they understand the depth of the work. Absolutely. Well, I I do find that when you ask really good questions, they tend to get an idea that you're really thinking about their entire business mm -hmm. and you're not just thinking about your advertising campaign for them. And I here's the thing, I'm probably the worst at marketing myself. Like I, I always go like, I don't even have a website. Uh, you know, I have a Facebook page, <laughs> a Google Plus, whatever. But I do try to remember key point, when I see a new client's coming up, whatever their industry, I try to think of some campaigns that I've worked on that would be good examples to talk to them about of the thinking that went behind it so they can be walked through the process a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then again, asking them about their business and then kind of procuring from them what some of the problems are, some of the areas we should be looking at. And, you know, competitive analysis is so key because it's not only about uh, what are they doing, keep up with the Joneses, but what aren't they doing? And, and finding that unique thing within your client that is an asset, that is a benefit that you can showcase. And that it's funny because when you look at all the advertising techniques, the unique selling proposition is it's kind of just one of them. But to me, it moves up to the forefront that I'm always looking for that as a talking point because we are in such a competitive environment. We're not just competing against the companies that have products similar to ours, but we're competing for mind share and we're competing for in the noisy world that we live in. And so what's that thing that's going to make people take notice right. of us I've, and care yeah yeah that it actually like comes up on their radar you know I had a client um uh well no they weren't a client I had a company talk with me and we were in like preliminary discussions and they kept insisting to me that because there wasn't an exact place they were a club like a membership club there uh -huh. wasn't one like them in town they didn't have a competitor and I kept saying Yes, you do. You have a competitor. You know, you have things that are kind of like this, like this. But to the nth degree, anywhere people are spending their disposable income exactly. in this town is your competitor. And they're like, no, no. And I'm like, yes, the casino is your competitor. And they're like, oh, we're nothing like the casino. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's that you can't, it is so busy. It's, I love the way, I've not thought about it in that way. The mind share, where after, can people even think about you as a company? Have we carved out a place where it's intriguing enough for them to even let it have any bandwidth in their own life? It's kind of like the, the Facebook algorithm, you know, analogy. We do so many things to try and break the Facebook algorithm and get our stuff shoved up higher on the, you know, on the share and in the news feed and things like that. Right, this. right. But that's what we're trying to do with people's lives is are they going to mention it at the next cocktail party? Are they going to call a friend about it? Are they going to, you know, to, it, it, are they going to think about it at all? 
And that idea of mindshare is super key. I, I've never said those words together, Helene, and I, I just love that idea because I think it takes that whole concept as you know a step further. And I can see that's how you are connecting people across uh, disciplines from marketing to PR. And then you're you're also seeing you know in social media. I, I can see now how you know just I feel like you kind of pulled the curtain back just a little bit, and I see how you think. How can we get into people's minds? Right. And why should they care? I mean, that's, that's always the thing I will say to, uh, you know, a new client, why should I care? Because, and not to be rude, but you really have to do that because you're looking at, people aren't thinking about you. They're thinking about their own life and all the things on their to-do list and all that. So why should they care? Why are you making their life better? And, you know, maybe it's not even a product like that. It's a business business thing, but it's the same idea. You know, why should I care? Why should I take a couple of minutes to pay attention to what you're saying to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way you have to look at everything. And honestly, sometimes, you know, you look at a company and you say, hey, your audience is really finite. So let's just super target them, uh-huh. but not spend this millions of dollars that are going to get you exposure to all these people who could not care about mm-hmm. your product. Yeah, they're never um, going to advance, right. advance your goals. Right, right. And, and I'm always pleasantly surprised, honestly, outside of technology and the mm-hmm. video game industry, mm-hmm. how many clients with little unique offerings are so interesting and they've just never properly talked about them. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know how to do that. I mean, they knew enough to make this cool little product or service, mm-hmm. but they didn't know how to really analyze it and then serve it up that way. But don't you um, find that's always the case with, you know, that you would be asking someone to be such a complete renaissance person. You know, they're the people who saw a need completely, you know, solved it in a very unique and funky way and then started a business over it, that's already overcoming odds. Then making it profitable enough to where they can actually talk with a consultant. I mean, let's be honest, you know, if they can't afford a consultant, they probably haven't done that well, you know, at it. I mean, so they're already won on so many levels by the time they're sitting down with you. And the, the concept that then they would also have been able to see what they should do in marketing. I mean, they would be like the end all be all. I find it funny because I have a lot of clients who apologize to me for their marketing. I know this is bad. I know this is bad. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, you started a company. Right. (laughs) You've done this. You've sold this. You've gotten it to a place where you can afford an expert in something. Uh, Why are we apologizing here? That's so funny. But you talk with tons of people who have these you have some really interesting stories with different people, the kinds of products, such cool solutions to small problems that like, and I'd say it's not, they're not small problems, but they're so unique. And so you get to tell these cool little stories, but you're right. They have not done a good job telling their own story yet. Right. And like I said, what's funny to me is they knew because they created the product to uh, solve all these problems mm-hmm. or benefit people. So it's mm-hmm. interesting. But I mean, I'm appreciative that they don't know how to talk about it or I wouldn't exist. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. And, and I tend, I think we all, unless we're in love with ourselves, tend to downplay our own skill set 
in our own mind. So to me, when people act like, oh, this is so great, I, I almost feel embarrassed because I, I don't think it's so amazing. This is just what I do. It's a way my mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's to me, starting a company, uh, taking that hit financially and risk-wise of all the things you do to bring a product to market that now I know firsthand, you know, that to me is a whole other skill set that that's more frightening than just properly marketing something. Right, right. Well, let's talk for just one minute about just kind of finishing up about the idea of were, were there things that you went through? What did you learn about yourself as you went about the process of setting your prices? What does it cost to work with Helene Sheeler Johnson? You know, when, when you broached that subject with yourself, were there things that you learned? Um, and then I want to talk about your own product and how you have had to almost um, be the consultant for your own company. I think that's going to be really interesting. So tell me a little bit about you, like your experience of what you went through in in your kind of evaluating your worth, because you just said, these are things, this is the way your brain works, you can't help it. And so you tend to undervalue it. But yet you at some point have to you know, you have to charge something for it. Right, so, right. What was well, your experience? I, I, I will be honest with you that I was blown away. I, first thing I did was just my colleagues. Some people I had known that had been, um, you know, one of my colleagues was a head honcho at Mattel for a while, and then she started consulting. So I would just ask them kind of what they were charging uh-huh. to get a, get a feel for the landscape. And I was blown away with how much that was and um i would say overall in the big scheme of things especially you know i'm out in missouri now that i'm over overall more affordable than you know those consultants in california just because of what the market will bear there Mm -hmm. Uh, but that that's the thing is poking around feeling around but i would say to someone who's going to be a consultant um they they really need to put in the work for first before Mm -hmm. they offer themselves up as that because I mean, I could feel good that I had agency experience and in-house experience and all those things that delivered me the ability to be able to offer up these services. So someone who just like, oh, I love this idea of like consulting, um, they should have the experience to back that up. And then that will, then they'll have those connections. I would think that would help them get to where they need to go. But it wasn't like this, you know, you think of me as a competent person I mean, I am to a degree, but there's a lot of like poking around and feeling my way to to get to where I am today mm-hmm. uh, because it's a whole different ballgame when you're not working for the man, right. you know, who, right. who delivers the health insurance and, uh-huh. you know, so although I totally love the, the freedom and if I need to work all night long in my office, I can, uh, but no one's dictating my exact schedule. Yeah, all those things are so beneficial. But I do feel confident that I'm offering people a service from experience, years of experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and I find it so interesting. We have, we've taken different paths. I own an agency and have nine people that I employ and all of the trappings. Oh my gosh, Helene, I am the man. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you're 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 a good looking man okay, though. You're thanks. you're a good man. <laughs> but you know it's so funny because you know we we both love 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 what we do, and you know you love that freedom, 
And then you'll go when you when you want to take that project, then you'll go source the people you need in order to complete that for you. Right. But you still maintain your fiery separateness and really your brand really of how you deliver what you deliver by staying just you marketing consultant. Right. Well, well, I do have something to say. Well, first of all, I want to say something that you're super awesome. And I'm not sure why you're always so impressed with me because (laughs) you like started all these companies and, you know, I'm just this little nut job over here that has some good ideas. But anyway, um, here's the (laughs) talk about downplay. Go on, whatever. (laughs) But here's. This is something interesting. So by the time I got up to VP level, uh-huh. and, and Midway was, you know, it wasn't as big a company as Sony, obviously. So we really had to be creative with the money we had. Honestly, mm-hmm. at Sony PlayStation at the time that I was there, if you ca- we would do these like forecasts of our budget, but they really were not set in stone. So if you came up with a cool idea, you got money to execute that idea. And that's mm-hmm. not how it was at Midway. So I really had to be resourceful. But I was also a vice president, which meant I had directors under me and I had all that. So what I was finding was happening is the, the more I moved up the ladder, the further away I was getting from the stuff I really loved. And I was having to take on more of that management role of the, the not fun things um, that that were less to do about strategy of a product launch and managing all of these people. And so I did enjoy being a cool boss to people because I felt like I was just there not that long ago. I remember what it was like. And I really do believe that if you treat your people well, you get the best work out of them. Mm -hmm. But that's when I came to that point. If I uh, when when I was getting ready to make another move, I had interviewed at uh, Pizza Hut, like the whole Tricon thing. And I just thought, if I go there, um, I'm really going to be far away now right. from what I love. So that's where the consulting thing really hit, you know, checks, uh, ticks a lot of boxes for me. Right. Because I can still be, you know, in control, but I also get to do all the things that I love as well. And, and that's, that was it. So I, wouldn't want to be you, Priscilla, <laughs> because of all of the overhead, all of those other things right. that you're having to deal with. Now, you're you're more intimate and more boutique in the way that you're very involved, and that's awesome. But that's where I feel like, honestly, I don't have the energy or the bandwidth mm-hmm. to have all these employees and then still do my thing. Because, right. as you know, I have a family, too, where I left that workforce so that I could spend more time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the balance, you know, and then I ripped the carpet out from under my poor husband Mm -hmm. (laughs) out of March back into the workplace. So (laughs) anyway, that's, that's what it is. I love, because I would say probably the happiest I ever was when I was a director at Sony and I was going out on all the video shoots and I was creating all the plans. I was doing all stuff. I was so involved in everything and really got to run the show, Mm -hmm. um, be in control and do everything myself. Right. So well, I love it. I yeah. have, you know, I'm, I'm looking right now for a creative director. And so I'm, you know, I'm in this weird funk where I'm the creative director and the selling president right now. And it, that, that does make, make my life difficult right now, just mm-hmm. in terms of the number of hours, because you and I both know how much I like to just turn work off and go home, um, right. you know, but 
everything that like the really qualified creative directors that are calling me and coming out and flying out to, you know, do the interview process and things like that. All of them are people who have already way been around the block. I mean, they've big names, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are they interested in coming here? I know that we have a cool firm, but, and I'm not trying to downplay, we both chose Joplin, Missouri. So, you know, weird us, we've lived, but between the two of us, we've lived almost everywhere in the world, you know, but we obviously see a beauty to it, but it does still strike me as interesting. But time and time again, what they're saying is that they're basically at these big firms and they have are so experienced that they've gotten uh, high up enough to the top where all they do is meetings and they are not in touch with the work and they miss it so badly. And they would love to come to a small boutique firm where they could make a difference and be in the work and, you know, be that integral part of making something happen, watching it happen. And they, they're just so hungry for it. And I, I, that's, I I mean, I, the last one I talked to, he's just like, oh, well for me today, all I've done is moved, you know, Google meetings around for the day. And I've got to head into one right after this, you know? Right. Oh, I know. It's maddening. Yes. You spend your day in meetings and then you work all night long to Mm -hmm. do the real work. So, and at that level, um, the hours and marketing, and this is why I do my own thing is because I don't want to be owned that marketing and advertising is a very long hour word proposition and I don't work that way and I'm not having that at my place. It's like, you know, I was uh, when I met Ariana Huffington and she was a speaker at an event we were sponsoring and seriously, she was talking about how they have nap rooms at Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, great, get a nap. On the other hand, I'm like, you know, do you know how many hours you need, you are expected to be at the office when they're offering you nap rooms? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, does anybody else see the madness in there? And I totally respect her. I love her, you know, but that's what it takes to drive a media organization that is international. It never stops. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't want that for my life. Obviously you don't want yes. that for your life. Yep. <laughs> so. Well, and also our size market, it just overall, it's not the, the overhead, to even live here is just so much less that that pre- like we're going to put enough pressure on ourselves even right. if the clients don't and that's the thing is I feel like the expectations they don't know what to expect and so I still put all these stresses on myself but you don't have the market itself stressing you out which is really not a good thing for anyone right. so I don't I don't miss that environment and it was great when I was 20 something and single and didn't matter if I worked every weekend and blah blah, blah. but yeah see I never did that I, I never went through that agonizing um, period in my life where I just like was a workaholic <laughs> Yeah. Well, I loved it at the time. Right. I mean, there was no one waiting at home for me. I traveled constantly. That's where I got to go out and do all these cool things. And I learned a ton and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. But then you get older and you get a family and all those things. And it doesn't mean that all that experience then can't play into the bigger picture. I think I work more efficiently now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I just, I know what I know and it's all organized Mm -hmm. opposed to when you're younger and you're working all those hours and you're kind of learning on the fly. Right. Uh, Right. It is much more relaxed now. Um, Both of you and I are both just crazy because we're just crazy people. Yes. You know, but let's end by talking a little bit about your product, which is super cool and I love it. So tell us a little bit about the product for people who don't know and where they can get it just because, Hey, thanks for being on my podcast. And, uh, (laughs) but I am really dying to know, tell me a little bit, give me a couple of funny things or some insights about how, you had to basically be your own p 
PR and marketing consultant. So shoot. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, it's called the Back to Beauty Anti-Wrinkle Head Cradle Pillow. It is a very comfy and cozy head cradle that allows you to sleep on your back all night long without anything touching your face. And since your head is between 8 and 10 pounds, when you sleep on your stomach or your side, uh, the weight of your head is creating sleep wrinkles that won't go away over time. And there was an American Academy of Dermatology, I think it was a 10-year study, where they came to this conclusion. Yes. So now where I fit into this whole kooky thing is when I was about 12 years old, I was fitted with a neck brace by my orthodontist. I was about to get braces. And I had always been a stomach sleeper, like full fetal, you know, position, face shoved mm-hmm. into the pillow. <laughs> and I would wake up in the morning and my mouth was just killing me. And my orthodontist said, you know, you're going to have to sleep on your back while we're doing this because you're actually shifting the teeth in your mouth from the weight of your head laying on one side or the other of this neck brace. So that was just one. I mean, I wasn't thinking about wrinkles at 12, but it was a data point for me to understand how heavy your noggin is. And then as I got older, I just started noticing that. I'd be in early morning meetings and everybody's face was all puffy and lines and wrinkles. And I, I thought to myself, you know, just it was a kooky notion of mine. I bet you if you could sleep on your back permanently without anything touching your face, you're, you're going to avoid like the jowls and the bags and all that stuff. So I would say in my you know, mid-20s, I started to make a concerted effort to sleep on my back. And I hadn't even heard about the study yet. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, and then I was traveling so much, and you know how nice hotels just have all those pillows, so I was able to prop myself up. But it was shocking how hard it is to not only consistently sleep on your back, but keep your face from flopping to the left or the right or moving around enough that you end up on your face somehow anyway. Mm-hmm. So I started rigging things up. No joke from a stuffed animal that my daughter had, you know, arms and legs to the sides and the, and the back kind of swayed in a little bit to create right. that cradle idea. So I was rigging everything up. Well, it wasn't until I learned about the actual study out there that I said, hey, there's a product in this now. You know, my suspicions are validated. People are going to want this thing. And I was shocked at how there really wasn't a product out there. You've got your little satin pillowcases that are supposed to help with the wrinkles on your face. But there are really only some medical pillows out there uh, that were hard. Foam is very hard. It compresses and gets hard. Uh, and, And that was the other thing is when you're on your back, and you need that support under your neck. It's not an easy mixture, as I found, from rigging things up. So I went to a textile manufacturer and had a prototype made. And it was eight prototypes later that we had something that was solid. Wow. So I actually... You, you, you know, know, you gloss over that eight prototypes later. A lot of people, I say, oh, yeah, you know, an overnight success. And I was telling somebody, I'm like, another 10 years of working this hard, and I'm going to be an overnight success. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? that's, so, I, that's cool. Eight, yeah. eight prototypes, you know. Uh, And the benefit was, since I'm actually using this, uh, it's coming from someone, I'm the inventor of this, so it worked out nicely. And then I sent out a couple to friends and family just to get their take on it, because I'm only one person. And that really helped me hone it into the, as perfect as it's going to get in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I just decided that I needed to bring this thing to market, but against my own advice because if I had a client who came to me with this I would say you know what you really need a substantial marketing spend Mm -hmm. to be able to get this out there and have people notice it Uh, so I just decided to start really small and I Mm -hmm. boosted some Facebook posts and created my own little website and um, 
you know, right now I exclusively sell on Amazon, except for orders that I might get in from maybe a business where I can send them a larger quantity. But mm-hmm. as in the consumer, direct to consumer, it's going through Amazon where they can pick, pack, and ship it easily. And now it's going to go international. But I, I will be honest, I was shocked. I think I did a good job with the messaging, right? Mm-hmm. And all the strategy. And I was shocked how well it worked, that people were just from seeing some of the imagery and a couple little taglines were clicking on those boosted posts and going and reading about it and then actually buying it. And and I'm shocked on Amazon even how little people sell their product on their own product page. It has very few bullet points and I really sold it on the product page so you understand the benefits. And so it was very rewarding because I thought, hey, you know, all this strategy I'm always talking about, I'm finally using it for my own product. Yay. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, what did you think, like, what what, what it, kind of advice did you give yourself about the home medics that buys everybody out? The big, you know, who are the big guns in, in that market, the big competitors that typically will immediately either buy out a company like this or will, you know, they just have such an array of products that they compete with you. What was the advice you gave yourself? I mean, how, and how hard was it to give yourself good advice? Well, I, like I said, I was very careful in baby steps of all this. I mean, I designed my own website. So the amount of spend against it was very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing. I wasn't going to mortgage our house or give up our life savings. Mm-hmm. And I started with small quantities, just almost like a test. You know, how how is this being received? And then I would tweak the message from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, of course, I looked at the competitive landscape when I even decided to make this product because I wanted to make sure so often you have a great idea that's already out there and there wasn't anything quite like this. And when I did look at my competition, there isn't any big company uh, attached. It seems like one-off little boutique type companies doing these and and their presentation isn't super professional. Now you've got a couple dermatologists that are behind some of these other products that I just think they sound great in theory, but when you try them, it's not comfortable. So I, mm-hmm. I know that my message is resonating even with people who have maybe tried something kind of similar, mm-hmm. but it seems like most people, they hear it and they, they the, the horror, you know, right. it, it's a nightmare. <laughs> what? You know, sleep, beauty sleep isn't making me more beautiful. Right. So I feel like that has been the strength of the message. And then the product actually delivers right. on that promise that, you know, the, that's the formula for success. Now, will I be able to get my message out there widely enough before someone scoops me, a bigger company comes in, makes something similar enough, and then markets it properly with millions of dollars behind it? Maybe. Um, but at this point in my life, I'm just plodding along mm-hmm. um, and and getting a really good response. And people seem really grateful. And, right. you know, it's not just this big company behind it. It's there's an inventor. Uh-huh. And that's a more personalized message. So, yeah, that's, I what, I, that's what I'm going with, Priscilla. <laughs> I lo- well, I, I love the pillows. So what can I say? But it's so funny because you, you talk a lot about the correct support to your neck and not the wrinkles and all this kind of stuff. And every time you were always talking to me, I'm like, yeah, but it's got a silk pillow thing so I don't have to mess up my hair and it's like you didn't seem to care that much about it as I did I was like but and the silk pillow 
Right. I mean, I got to have right. a silk pillowcase, right. you know. <laughs> well, and you know what? I, that's in the messaging. Mm-hmm. I, it really is. And so if I get to you with the overall idea, you're going to read about all those benefits. Also acne. I mean, that's a huge one for young adults. I, I still got acne in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And when your face is touching that pillow, it's the bacteria right. on there, even right. if you wash it all the time. So mm-hmm. there's all these benefits. And then when I found out, honestly, med- for medical reasons, mm-hmm. most people should be sleeping on their back. Right. Uh, that's when I felt just completely justified to move forward and offer this up to everyone, not just my kooky self. Right. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that, you know, there's a lot of other places besides direct to consumer that you can do this with. So I'm going to be interested to see since you're taking this one by one and you mm-hmm. really wanted to have it confirmed and you're on massive next order. So which we are hoping that is not on the slow boat from China. <laughs> but, you know, it's cool. It's so fun to have watched you do what we do. But for you to actually reap the benefits, you and I are constantly doing it for other companies and they're reaping the benefit of our marketing prowess. And so this has been super cool. And I'm excited to see how this changes after you get your feet under you with this of that, you know, the success and direct to um, consumer. And I mean, I think the sky's the limit after that. But just real quick, just for my benefit, because I, I want to give you a little shout out here. So if they went to Amazon, what should they search to find you? Back to beauty anti-wrinkle head cradle okay. pillow. If they if they search anti-wrinkle pillow, it, it would it might come up right now since we're still out of stock, it won't. But yeah, back to beauty, anti-wrinkle head cradle. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for joining me, Helene. You and I can talk forever about mm, just about <laughs> anything. So I'm glad we actually stuck to marketing this time. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, then please leave us a review where you downloaded it. We're available at iTunes at Ponderings from the Perch. And if you have suggestions or other questions that you would like us to answer or have a suggestion for a guest you would like for me to have on the podcast, please send me a line and let me know. Info at littlebirdmarketing.com. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.